And from that moment on, I knew I had found my purpose, what I was born to do, all the highs, all the lows, all the broken places. It all led to preparation for that moment. Welcome to the Real Talk 238 podcast with your host, Denise Lee, a licensed professional counselor and nationally board certified counselor in the state of Alabama. The focus of the Real Talk 238 podcast is to have real conversations concerning taboo topics that people in the church may find themselves struggling with or feel they may not be able to talk about. The topics discussed on the Real Talk 238 podcast are intended strictly for informational and educational purposes only. These topics are not a substitute nor does it replace professional medical, psychiatric, psychological, or mental health advice, nor is it a substitute for a diagnosis or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or a qualified licensed mental health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or mental health disorder. right now. Let's get started. Hey everyone, I just wanted to come on real quick before the interview starts with Vicki Vernon and just say, hey, I'm thankful that you are listening to the podcast and listening to this episode. I did this interview back in May of 2021. At the time, I was still an ALC or an associate licensed counselor. And of all the interviews I have ever done with anybody, I think I literally cried through this interview. It really touched my heart and it got right to where I was at. So if you are called into ministry, you will want to listen to this because it will really touch your heart. And if you know somebody who fills that call into ministry, Please share this with them because it will resonate with them. I hope you thoroughly enjoy this interview with Vicki Vernon. I have a short announcement and then the interview will begin afterwards. So just stay tuned. If you are a pastor's wife, a minister's wife, or a woman in ministry, then you will want to listen to this important announcement for some exciting news. Coming October 5th through the 7th, 2023, there will be a Resolute and Refresh Ladies Ministry Retreat in Independence, Missouri. The theme for this year's Resolute and Refresh Ladies Ministries Retreat is Raw But Real. The definition of Resolute is admirably purposeful, determined, and unwavering. Resolute and Refresh Ladies Ministry Retreat is designed for women who are the wife of a pastor, the wife of a minister, or they are involved in ministry and understand how important it is to be purposeful, determined, and unwavering. These women understand that no matter what level or capacity they serve in ministry, there are times when a few days away are needed so they can be the best they can be for their spouses, their families, and their churches that they serve. The purpose of this retreat is to invite women who are involved in ministry together so they can specifically be ministered to 
and be refreshed. Women who attend this retreat will have a place to just get away for a few days so they can be supported, refreshed, and then return to their churches feeling rejuvenated. The speakers who are chosen for this retreat are godly women who are greatly anointed. More information will be announced in the near future on both Instagram and Facebook about the speakers, the cost of registration, and when registration will be opening. For more information, go to Resolute and Refresh Ladies Ministry page on Facebook or Instagram, or you can send an email at Resolute and Refresh LM at gmail.com. Now for the Real Talk 238 podcast, here we go. Hey everyone, thank you today for joining the Real Talk 238 podcast. My name is Denise Lee, I am your host. And today I'm so excited about my guest. This is Vicki Vernon. She is a full-time evangelist. She does not sit still, let me tell you. She's from Wisconsin, and she is married to Ben. I actually got to meet both of them at the ladies' conference here in Alabama. Just super wonderful people, and her message just blessed my heart so much. When she's not out ministering, she is attending church in Madison, Wisconsin. She has nine grandchildren and a pair. She's been in the church all her life, and the way she serves in ministry is through evangelism, and I don't think that's quite it. I've heard stories about kids. Looking forward to hearing a little bit more about that. And she describes herself as being an ordinary person with a love for souls. She's been in full-time ministry for 33 years and in at least 45 churches per year. She enjoys speaking to ladies, children, and in family services. She's ministered in Australia, France, Africa, Finland, the Micronesian Islands, and Israel. She's also been in all of the United States. Is that even Hawaii? Yes. And she loves to decorate and cooking. She loves to deep sea fish. And I found out she has caught a shark. Most of all, she enjoys time with her family and friends. And a fun fact about her is that she loves very spicy food. Hey, Vicki, welcome to the podcast today. How are you doing? I'm doing great. You just finished up speaking. Nebraska and then Illinois. We were gone 10 days this time. There's no dust that settles on those wheels, is there? No, there is not. (laughs) (laughs) So you tell me you caught a shark. Yes, I did. And what else have you fished for? Well, I love to go far out in the Gulf of Mexico and I caught a 65 pound grouper. And then I also deep sea fished in Alaska and I caught a 45 pound halibut. And that's my starfish because the grouper, I was in a chair, you know, you're strapped in, the pole's locked in, but that halibut, I was on a boat where the young man said, you know, we will not catch anything over about 10, 12, 15 pounds and we're just not equipped for that and so when I got that huge halibut on my line he was threatening to take the pole to cut it off to not allow me to bring it in and he and I had some words I said I am bringing this fish (laughs) in on this boat he decided to quit fighting me and help me and it took several men to help me get it on board the net was too small I have pictures of it and so that's my prize fish I'm sitting here picturing Because I think you're probably about the same height as I am, if I remember correctly. I think so. I'm here sitting here picturing, you know, you see the people holding up their fish, their catch. That thing was probably as, you know, as tall as you. Just about was, and it was very (laughs) heavy. (laughs) 
that that is so awesome. I had asked you to be on the podcast and just to talk and my podcasts are pretty organic unless it's something very, very specific. A lot of times I just leave it up to the guests. I let the guests decide where they feel God is leading them to go. What area did you want to talk about today? Kind of just wanted to leave it up to you. What came to mind is starting out in ministry. A lot of people want to know, how do I know that I'm called and what I'm called to do? And how do you get started? And that kind of thing. And I know I never really believed that I would ever travel or be in the pulpit at all. I was raised in church and brother Billy Cole prayed with me when I received the gift of the Holy Ghost when I was nine. He laid his hand on my head and prayed over me and spoke with tongues. That's when I received the Holy Ghost. From that point on, I remember just being a child and weeping for souls, crying and praying for souls, beginning with my dad who came in three months later. That gifting and that anointing, Brother Cole let me know years later. He said, I don't lay my hands on people. I speak a word of faith. And if you've seen him in a crusade, he lines people up, sets them on a front row or lines them up and speaks, receive ye the Holy Ghost and they receive it. And he said, I remember you. And he said, part of my mantle was put on you that day. So he said, everyone that you've seen received the Holy Ghost. Those are my grandchildren in the spirit. That's how that works. Oh, wow. I like that. Yeah. And I began to realize that my calling was so important to, for me to do that for other children. So through the years now, 33 years full time, I have laid my handkerchief on the back or the forehead of little children and touched them and believed that part of my mantle as the Lord led was given to them. Now I've lived long enough and done this long enough. I am praying with children to receive the Holy Ghost. And just a while back, a dad came back to retrieve his child. And he said, do you remember me? And I said, I remember your face. He said, you prayed with me when I was 10 and I received the Holy Ghost. And we took our picture together. His daughter was 10. When children received see the Holy Ghost, it can last a lifetime and they never have to go into the world. So my calling as a children's evangelist started with me doing whatever I could find my hand to do at church. And I think a lot of people miss it because they're looking for, I feel like I'm called to do this. When's it going to happen? Right. Exactly. And it don't ever happen when you, That's because right. there's all that preparation. God's got to get you ready to do it. That's exactly right. And you know, I laughed the other day. I told my husband, I said, you know, I never told anyone this, but when you're in a small church and you can sing remotely well at all, and you grow up in church and you pray, sing, and you sing in programs. And I thought I was a wonderful, wonderful singer. My life ambition was to sing for Jesus. I was going to be a traveling singer. I really got the rug ripped out from under me when <laughs> I went to Bible college and I didn't make corral. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> I did not make corral when they tried me out because my pitch is not pure and I love to sing, but that doesn't mean you're good because you love to. Sometimes what you think God's going to use you to do is not that at all. But he's like you said, preparing you. Yes. I learned how to get along with other people. I learned how to give and take and how to get over it when someone hurt my feelings. Yes. Not to let it take a root of bitterness. You know, all those things that you have to be proven in before you're launched and called to your final purpose. 
Yes. And you know, you made me think of something and I've thought about this quite often. And I think even with one of my sons, he really had this goal of doing this one specific thing. And my heart was like, you know, as a mom, I don't think that's going to work. And so one day it just hit me out of the blue that sometimes God will actually use that one thing to get our focus going in that direction. But that is not what he's actually wanting us to do. And so what ends up happening as we're looking down that way, sometimes we'll venture off a little bit to the left or the little bit to the right, and then we'll see it. And that's where God is wanting us to go. But it took us just doing that other thing, getting headed in that right direction. Right. And I think one thing that was so important for me is I played the guitar and I was asked to sing in a a youth rally. And I had the song prepared and took my guitar up there and began to sing. And something happened that had never happened to me before. And all of a sudden that song became real to me and I began weeping and I couldn't get the words out and the piano was still going, the organ back then, we all had an organ. They were still playing and I'm still strumming the guitar, but I'm weeping. The tears are just rolling down my cheeks and the anointing had hit me. And I went from being embarrassed that I couldn't continue to opening my eyes and looking and people were standing and weeping all over the building and coming to the altar and the Lord let me know that is what the anointing feels like. And from that day to this, I have desired nothing else, but I want to minister with that. I want that on me. I don't want to minister in my flesh. Sometimes those early experiences prepare us for things like that. Yes. Getting used to what does the anointing feel like? Every evangelist or every teacher needs to learn that at some point. I don't want to minister in the flesh. I want to feel that. I want to know that's on me. Yeah, I was thinking about that question. Well, when am I supposed to do this? When is the right time? Not too long ago, it started staring in me about I needed to ask this certain person about, hey, I feel really strongly about coming, but I didn't know how it would be received. And so I just kind of kept shoving it down. But of course, God, he kept poking at me. And then of course, there's the preparation. And I'm sure for everybody, it's going to be different the way they feel it. And I remember this one day, it was like this super heaviness on my chest and I couldn't stand it. I was talking to this person. I said, I got to ask you something. And when I asked them and they said, yes, I was like, whoa. And then I went and told my pastor about it. And he says, don't you recognize the Holy Ghost? Don't you recognize the anointing? I felt about two inches tall because it was, I mean, you know, I've lived for God a long time, but this was very different. I directed a choir for 12 years and I'm really not very musical. Back in the days when you couldn't go to heaven without a bulletin, I typed the bulletin and I was not a typist and it took me forever on Saturday night. I drove a church van. I picked up children for years. I was trying to think I even got my CDL license and drove a huge bus at one point. I taught Sunday school, every age group from the little nursery all the way to the adult class. But none of that was just my final calling. It was the preparation and it took many years and I never wanted the pulpit. I never desired the pulpit or thought, why am I not ministering? I just knew that I wanted to work for the Lord. That's what God looks for is not one ministry being a stepping stone to another, but I just wanted to do something for God because it's all ministry. That's right. And every bit of it, if you're cleaning the church, if you're greeting at the door, whatever, it's all about souls. It's about one thing that's souls. And it's very unique. What happened? I birthed 
into a prayer life where I finally stopped just praying at church, but I had a burden for souls and began to pray at home and develop a prayer life. And that was the launching pad for my calling into evangelism. And the Lord sent Jason Cisco to my home church. And I was on the back row feeling like I was just backslidden and worn out and tired and had young children. And he prophesied over me. And the rest is really history. I mean, when he prophesied over me, I went out in the floor. It was as if an angel came and took me on a journey. And I saw myself going from church to church to church and praying for people. And they were falling out, talking in tongues. And I I saw this vision, you know, I'm thinking, okay, how does this happen? And someone told me, well, you need to write letters and tell people that you feel called. And that didn't feel right. And I didn't share it with anybody. Please, please talk more about that because that does come up for people. Right. How do you get started? How do you get started? And how are you supposed to know when to reach out? And are you supposed to go to your pastor and let your pastor promote you? Or do you self-promote or what in the world? How do you do that? When I got up from the floor and I knew something had happened and the prayer life changed, I started spending a lot of time in intercessory prayer and Bible reading. I finally developed that love for the word. And at that point, I'm just asking the Lord, what is it you want me to do? I'm learning to hear his voice, that still small voice, be obedient to his voice. So I'm teaching kindergarten at the time. And I had taught kindergarten at that point for five years. Very happy doing that. I love little people. And I just, my children were younger and it worked out for them to be in that school with me. So I was enjoying that. And actually the word of the Lord from brother Cisco, he told me you are teaching school, but you're going to quit your full-time job within a year and be full-time evangelism. And that was really scary to me. So I shared it, of course, with my pastor. And I think being submitted and under the man of God is so vital. Yes. And I never have gone outside of that boundary. And that has kept me safe, that umbrella protection. A lot of people feel like, well, it's my life and I can do what I want. If anything, I've been too far over the other direction sometimes. And sometimes they'll say, well, Vicki, you don't have to ask me that. But I want to be submitted. I want my pastor to know what's going on in my life and to correct me if I need correction. I went to my pastor and he said, well, I'm going to back you up. And I see that on you, that calling on you. It's been on you for years and we'll just see what God has in mind. So he didn't promote me and I didn't promote myself. I waited, but it was just a few weeks. And a man called my pastor and asked him if he could call me and invite me to come do a children's revival. And he was about an hour from my home. And this man said, I have been busing in children and they are from horrible home lives. They're broken. We have to feed them because they're not fed. They can't even sit still. They're broken. They're hurting. They're from homes full of drugs and addictions and so on. A lot of abuse. And he said, we've been feeding them food. We've been giving them prizes. We've been loving on them. We've been teaching them Bible stories. And he said, the Lord spoke to me and said, you're giving them enough Bible stories to send their souls to hell without a relationship with me. Wow. They need to be filled with the spirit. They need to be baptized in my name. I need to go home in their little hearts with them. They need to know me. And that stuck with me. I've repeated that for 33 years in training and seminars and so on. He called me and asked me, would I come hold a children's revival? I had no idea how to do that. And I was scared out of my wit. And he said, well, I am sure if you will pray, God will show you. And we set a date on the calendar, a Wednesday through a Friday. And I just began to pray. And God showed me a vision of a big red four foot heart with a crack across the middle. And there were band-aids open, the outside of it open, lying in a basket 
beside the heart. And that heart, it was painted bright red, very big. I thought, well, I need to make that prop. I don't know how to do that. I'm not good with my hands. So I'm not creative like that. So I went to school that day to teach kindergarten and a parent came in and she said, you won't believe what my husband bought for me over the weekend. He bought me a jigsaw and I'm going to start making things for the yard and things and selling them. And I just wondered, do you need anything at all for school or church? And I said, yes, I need a big red four foot heart with big crack across the middle. And literally 24 hours after God gave me that vision, that heart was standing in my garage painted. And the Lord said, I'm going to give you a message what God will never do. Oh, I got my pen and paper. Lord, go ahead. Let's have it. What he said, Oh, I'll fill your mouth when you get there. Oh yeah. You tell them what I will do. And then I'll tell you what I won't do. And I stood up in front of those children and I started telling them the good things that God would do for them and how he would be their best friend and he'd heal their bodies and he'd comfort them and hold them when they're hurting. But then when I launched off into what God will never do, the anointing hit me and the tears began to roll. And I walked those aisles even way back then. I addressed, he'll never say, I wish you were never born. He'll never call you names, stupid, dummy, idiot. He'll never cuss at you. He'll never slap you or kick you in anger. He'll never get in his car and back down the driveway and tell you, I'll call you. I'll be back and never come back and never call. He won't come into your room at night and make you feel dirty and nasty and tell you not to tell anyone. I'm telling you, those kids were bent over double in their seats, weeping and crying. My, my very first crusade, I didn't have to give an altar call. They lined up. I taught them what God gave me, the four steps of worship to close their eyes, to shut out everybody around them, to raise their little faces so that Jesus could look right into the beautiful face he made and into their heart, to lift both of their little hands because he was like somebody so big and loving that all they had to do was say, hold me, hold me and raise their hands and he would hold them. And then the last step to use their playground voice and to ask Jesus to forgive them for their sins and they're sorry for the bad things they've done. And they're going to try not to do them anymore. And I forgive people who've hurt me. And I'm telling you, when those kids did that and they put a bandaid across the crack on that heart, they were falling out in the floor, speaking with other tongues. There were 37 filled in that first night of the first crusade. And from that moment on, I knew I had found my purpose, what I was born to do, all the highs, all the lows, all the broken places. It all led to preparation for that moment. And I didn't have to open a door. I didn't have to ask my pastor to open a door. That man called me. And one call precipitated the next. And the first year I did 10 crusades. The second year I did 23 crusades. And I had to go in and turn in my notice the beginning of the second year because I couldn't miss every Friday and Monday from school. I turned in my notice. And from that day to this, this is what I have done full time. And I've walked in my final calling, which I say that casually because what happens if you're faithful over a few things, he makes you ruler over many and brings you before great men. And I have been brought before the greatest people in the world and ministered in their churches and become their friend. And along the way, then someone said, you know, I think you would be able to minister to our ladies. Would you mind that? So a new launching pad for yet another hat to wear, a new type of ministry came. And that was about 15 years ago. And I ministered in a lot of state district ladies ministries. And then a lot of very sweet, precious times with ladies I love in the local church when I get to minister to just the ladies. Then a lot of pastors started saying, you don't just minister to the children, but you minister to the child and everyone. So let's call it family crusade. The culmination, the last 
few years of that has been almost everywhere I go, I will minister to the whole body under the name family ministry. And we have lots of children receive the Holy Ghost, but then lots of adults as well. But you know, there's something about the anointing and that's what breaks the yokes. And that's why I said, I don't want to minister in my flesh. I'd rather stay home and play with my grandchildren and just and teach Sunday school. And, and that would be fine because that's ministry. But God called me to do this. It's what I, I need to fulfill. And I'm busier now than I've ever been. I just finished 33 churches this year. And this is just May. We are going into areas and staying sometimes six, seven, eight weeks at a time and then offering ministry to whomever. And again, one call precedes another. And we're busy some weeks, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday night, Friday night. We're speaking every night. I'm enjoying this sunset. I'll be 60 this year. This is the sunset, a new thing God's doing. But I've always been called to the harvest. So if I'm doing a ladies conference or I'm speaking to children or I'm speaking in family ministry, whatever I'm doing, I am called to the harvest. So people are filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And I love working the altar. And God gave me something about altar working that I'd like to share with you. Absolutely. Years ago, many years ago, he, he showed me a vision of people lined up to pray for the Holy Ghost. And there were angels and demons with swords over their heads, slashing swords. And he said, every time an altar call is given, it is like a battlefield. That's why we have to be strategic, like you would be in battle. Yes. That there are three types of altar workers. And I want you to train people and teach people that babies are not born without travail. So we must have intercessors. We have to have one type of altar worker, the intercessor, who will slip down on the pew or get over in the corner. You know, they don't have to be noisy, utterances that can't even be heard, but they take on that burden for the lost souls that are seeking or that may be weighing in the balances. They're trying to decide, do they want to come or, or not? Do they want to pray or not? And we need people that will do that. Oftentimes those people think, well, I don't know how to work the altar. And so I just need to go home. I'm not an altar worker. No, no one should go home. Everyone is an altar worker. And that is one type, the intercessor. The second type is a worshiper. And King David, when he was in battle, he would hire worshipers to go out before the army. So when we have service, we're going before the army and we're singing and worshiping and clapping and doing what we do. It's a a very important part of what we do. So when the altar call is given, the people playing instruments, the people in the seats, the people that love to sing and talk in tongues and clap their hands, those are our worshipers. They go out before the battle. And many times battles were won before they were ever fought because the opposing enemy got freaked out when they heard, we're going to totally annihilate you in the name of the Lord. And they were worshiping God for a battle that was not yet won. And that's what we do as worshipers. Then the third type is the frontliner, the frontline worker. They have the swords in their hands. The frontliners have to be non-emotional. If you have emotional people with swords in their hands in the battle, you're going to have casualties and we have casualties in our altars Yes, because we have emotional people swinging their swords and talking in tongues in people's faces and rocking them and holding their arms up. And I will say this as on the whole, it is so much better than it used to be because we have finally realized the spirit is given by the Lord and we can't give it to them. 
it's a gift and not everybody has a birthday on the same day. So you're not going to have a spiritual birthday on the same day. Your birthday is on his calendar and that's when you receive it. And we've realized that we need to be a little more controlled in the front lines. Worshippers need to stand behind the seekers, not in front of them. And the frontliners need to be trained what to say, what not to say, how to approach people. Not a lot of touching. That touch should be an anointed touch meant for the forehead. I do. I really appreciate you saying that. The last two weeks I have been teaching on trauma-informed care. The first one was in a medical setting with doctoral resident at one of the top universities. And the other one was at a church, but it was, it was particularly about how to recognize what trauma looks like. And that is so important that you bring that up because some people are not okay with touch. And for some people that's okay, but when you have somebody who's been battered and bruised and wounded, especially those individuals who have PTSD, it's like they are so hypervigilant. They're on guard because of that. It's like they really struggle to get in tune with what God's wanting to do in their life. And then you've got people touching them and all that sort of stuff. But I thank God that you had said that because it does, it needs to be very strategic in how it's handled. And keeping in mind those three types the intercessor and the worshiper and the frontliner, you can move from one of those positions to another at any given time. But knowing what God is wanting you to do for that particular service and understanding no one should go get their pizza and go to bed without the altar being complete. And it begins when we walk in the front door, looking around and preparing ourselves to pray with someone, to intercede for someone, to carry a burden for someone. It's all about souls. And you can move from that position of a worshiper into the front lines of battle and give someone a word. I always approach people. I don't care if they're already crying and their hands are raised. I will approach them and stop them and introduce myself and say, may I pray with you? Uh, not assuming they're praying for the Holy Ghost, asking them, what can I pray with you about? And if they say the Holy Ghost, then we know what to do. But if they say my family is coming apart, you know, or my child is, is sick or then stopping and praying with them about that first and believing for their miracle and then letting the spirit lead you. Should you stop there and give them space or is it time to move forward and say, now, would you like Jesus to move in your heart and using words that anybody can understand, not just our Pentecostal language. I know one time I was praying with a little boy and I, I learned everything the hard way. And I said, you're just about ready to speak in tongues. You're almost ready to speak in tongues. Go ahead. And he stopped and he grabbed his mouth and he said, I don't want to have a lot of tongues. I just want to keep the one I got. And he started crying because he had in his mind, he was going to get like 10 tongues wagging out of his mouth you know, scared him to death. And I had to pull back and realize that wasn't the right wordage for a child or someone new. Sometimes you're going to say strange words, words in another language. Sometimes with children, I'll say funny words that you've never said before. You know, breaking it down for people to understand is so important. And then the touch. I don't hold people's arms up. I don't touch them. I ask them, are you ready to receive? I'm going to touch you on your head and Jesus is going to fill you. Are you ready? And if they shake their head, yes, they've given me permission. And they've also accepted the gift of faith that's in operation because the gift of faith is faith enough to give it away. I just gave it away with my words when I said, I'm going to touch you on the head and you are going to receive it. Are you ready? Now, have you ever had anybody not want you to touch them, but yet they still got the Holy Ghost when you prayed for them? Yes. I had a lady that said, I don't really want to be touched. And I said, that's fine. 
I don't have to touch you. No one has to touch you, but Jesus will still fill you. And I explain, he moves in your heart. He fills you all the way up to here. And I take my hand up to my mouth. And when the Holy Ghost gets right there, the strange words come to your mind and you just speak them right out of your mouth. You can't do it wrong. I always tell people that you can't do it wrong. You don't have to sound like me or anybody else. That's why it's really important not to talk in tongues where they can hear you so clearly and you're in their face or in their ear, because that's what they think. I'm going to sound like that. And they're not because it's a brand new tongue. It's theirs for one thing. And sometimes it's baby talk in tongue. They're just getting started. So I always tell them that. But I've had that lady in particular, she received the Holy Ghost without anyone touching her. And that's why I love the Billy Cole method, because he had people and I just did this. I had them clear off the front row and had those come on Pentecost Sunday that would like to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost for the first time. And I had them set up front and five received the gift of the Holy Ghost, men, women, and children for the very first time. But I spoke the word of faith. I said, no one is going to touch you. The worshipers were worshiping. The people were interceding. Intercessors were on their knees all over that building. I asked them, to begin to intercede. The worshipers were worshiping. The music was playing. I bound confusion and distraction and loose peace. I bound the spirit of fear and loose faith. I bound doubt and unbelief and loose truth. And then I instructed them to begin to repent. And I'd already gone through what that was. And they were weeping and repenting. And then I said, when the Lord spoke to me, I said, receive ye the Holy Ghost. And they began to speak in tongues sitting on the front row. No one was touching them. Laying on of hands is scriptural. It's in the Bible. So that's why it's important to be led by the spirit. God will do it that way many times. And then other times he instructs me to lay on of hands. But when I do it, I do it like I just told you. I ask permission and I lose faith as I do it. So it will be an anointed touch. I was going to ask you something. The four R's or the four, four steps. Four steps of worship. Close your eyes, raise your face lift your hands and use your voice. Four steps of worship. What I wanted to go back to was when somebody filled that call, this is so important. This was one of those hard lessons, which you usually learn the best from is don't pray for another person's anointing because you have no idea what that person went through to get that anointing. That's right. That's right. And you know, God knows what we can bear. He knows our individual personalities. He made us, he created us for a purpose. Praying for purpose. God, what was I born to do? What is it that you want me to do for you? And praying to see purpose in your life. And then just finding everything that comes before you. Don't ever say no. If you're asked to clean the church or you're asked to speak on a Wednesday night or you're asked to pick up people for church or whatever you're asked to do, if it's within your power at all, and it will be because your pastor or a leader won't ask you unless it is. And they see something in you. So you just do it and do it heartily as unto God. Do it with all your might. Pray about it. Learn to hear the voice of God. But I'm with you there. You don't ask for somebody else's anointing because you don't know what it costs them. Someday I'd like to talk to you again about more of my story and what it it did cost. And a lot of people that makes them fearful, but it shouldn't make us fearful because he won't allow more than we can bear. Right. And the other thing too, that I was saying, you see people be used, like maybe they come to a conference you're at and they just watch you. I know at the ladies conference that the first session when you spoke, I mean, it was like, you, you didn't even know who I was or even where I was sitting. And it was like, I think you pulled out all my mail in my mailbox and got in my closet, you know, that type thing. And I never went up to you 
none of that. People look at those things or they see somebody who has a phenomenal healing ministry and you're thinking, wow. And what some people may not realize is that maybe that isn't your exact calling. Yes, that looks wonderful. And, but again, like we said, you don't know what they went through to get there. And if that is not what God called you to do, you're going to be miserable. That's right. Everybody's boot camp looks a little different. We all go through boot camp. Yes. And it, you know, approving time. And you, most people don't even realize that's what they're going through when they're suffering, when they're going through things. But you will gain dominion over spirits and over things that you would not have known about or understood if you didn't go through it. And on the other side of it, you have dominion and you have authority and it gives you discerning of spirits, the things you lived with, the things you put up with, the things that hurt you, the things that broke you, you know, even divine healing. When you're healed of something, you have dominion over it. And that's what the devil hates. And it's just like you get more tools in your toolbox. When you go out to minister to other people, now you have dominion over those spirits. God will use all of the brokenness if we will forgive others, forgive ourselves, forgive God, get it all under the blood, quit looking in the rearview mirror and only use it to revisit to help someone else. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Tell about some of your experiences, like in some of these countries you went to. Well, one experience that came to mind in Paris, I was there ministering during the week. I stayed an entire week. I did their national Sunday school convention, but on a Wednesday night, I came to church and just to attend, I looked around and there were some children and the Lord prompted me. They didn't have anything for the children that night. And Pastor Novaki allowed me to take the children out. We went into a little room and we sat on the floor in a circle. I have little hearts that I carry and one is full of black crinkle paper. It's red and one is gold and sparkly and full of sparkly white crinkle paper. And I, that's the only little props I had. And I had an interpreter and the lady was interpreting and I talked about Jesus cleaning out our dirty hearts and giving us a brand new heart and very simple little message that God gave me. And so when I got to the end of that message, we all stood and I asked how many needed the gift of the Holy Ghost. Well, there were four out of the children that were there. And I think there were only about nine or 10 there. And there were four that needed the Holy Ghost. So I said, well, let's stand in a big circle and we'll put those four in the middle. And all of us will repent together and get our hearts all cleaned out. And then we'll all ask Jesus to either fill us or refill us. So all the children on the outside began to talk in tongues. The anointing filled that room. And they're just weeping and crying and shaking. And instantly, three in the middle received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. So there was one little girl left and she was about six years old. And she was just crying and crying. And the interpreter was standing there trying to minister to her. And she was verifying that the other three were speaking in tongues. They weren't speaking French. And I mean, the power of God was just all over that room. Some of the little kids on the outside were just shaking and shouting and dancing. So I am just weeping and praying for this one little girl. I didn't want her to be the only one to walk out of that room without the Holy Ghost. And, and I'm saying, Lord, please show me what is the key? Because there's a key to every heart. Show me what is the key to this little girl's heart. And the Lord said, hug her. And I, I'm thinking, I hope that I'm hearing right. Lord, you're wanting me just to walk over while she's weeping and talking, you know, stammering and almost talking in tongues. You want me to hug her. And the Lord said, hug her. So I just walked over and I just wrapped my arms around her and I could 
feel her little body begin to shake under the power of the Holy Ghost. That child burst out speaking with other tongues, weeping, weeping. The interpreter, she just shouted and danced. And it was just a beautiful time. And that little girl really got a beautiful blessing of the Holy Ghost that day. And we all sat back down in the circle and some of the children were giving little testimonies. And that little girl still shaking and talking in tongues. And finally, she walked over to the interpreter and told her something. And the interpreter said, she wants me to tell you that she was so afraid oh, and that she saw a vision of Jesus walking toward her with his arms open and that Jesus wrapped his arms around her and gave her a Holy Ghost hug. And that's when she got the Holy Ghost. That child had never opened her eyes. She didn't even know it was me. I fulfilled a vision that he was giving her. You talk about being his arms, being his hands, being his feet. That's what we say we want to be. But that day I got to be a hug, a Jesus hug for a little girl. That was such a beautiful experience. Another experience in Africa on the front row in a service where the children were in an orphanage and it was just horrid conditions and Jesus filled over 1,500 little orphans with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And you couldn't get among them. They had the Africans, the leaders working with them because you couldn't walk among them. It was solid people, solid children. And I stepped down on the front row and I'm just marveling at what God is doing in the sound. There's nothing like it. And I leaned down, there was a little girl on the front row and her hands raised that are part of her head shaved from the parasites, the infection running out of her nose and her ears and just squalid conditions. She's starving, you know, they, their little belly swollen out. And, but she was just shaking under the power of the Holy Ghost. And I leaned down to listen and she was saying, I love you, my savior. I love you, Jesus. You are my king. I love you, my Jesus. You are my king. And I called the interpreter over and I said, listen to this child. And he began to weep and cry. He said, she does not know one word of English. She is speaking in tongues. God gave her an English tongue. And that was something that was priceless, just absolutely priceless. Oh my goodness. I've got chills over here. I, I promise. I, I don't think I've ever cried in an interview like this. Well, I, I hope that's a good thing. That's a good thing. As a therapist, you know that whatever's in here, it's being released through those tears. That's right. Tears are a beautiful thing. Is there anything else you would like to share? I'm just over here soaking all this up. Well, I guess I've shared quite a lot already with altar working and some miracle stories and a while back something really wonderful happened and I know you'll appreciate this as a therapist I preached a message in a little daughter work where there were just a handful there and they had invited a few of their family members to come as well and there was a man there who had not been in an apostolic church for many many years he came to the altar weeping and crying and he forgave others. He forgave himself and he forgave God. And God filled him with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. He was just overwhelmed with the presence of God. And he told me at the end of his prayer time, he came to me and he said, I want to share with you and your husband that 30 years ago, my three-year-old daughter was kidnapped and she was with me in my presence. And we had gone out for the day and someone took her. He said, we never saw her again. And he said, the families blamed me 
He said, my family turned against me. My wife's family turned against me. My wife divorced me. He said, I have spent years in bitterness and in anger and unforgiveness. And he said, but the things you talked about today gave me hope. And I decided I'm going to turn my life back over to the Lord. He said, you know, there is healing at the foot of the cross. He said, something happened to me today that it's life-changing. And he said, I'm going to spend the rest of my days helping other people heal. I feel like you as a therapist understand a lot more than I do how vital it is to forgive those who have hurt you. Yes, it's extremely vital. In fact, I teach on it. I've taught clients on forgiveness and forgiveness isn't about a lot of people have a misconception of what forgiveness is. In 2006, God really was one of those things. Like we talked about early, he gets your interest in it. And that's what happened. I just it's like, what happens in the body if we don't forgive? And it, it kind of led that direction. But what I did not know come many 10, 15 years later, how vital that all that research I did on forgiveness. And even, I mean, I presented a poster as an undergrad. I was the single author on this poster. Nobody does that, but God does it. And my poster, in fact, I got it hanging over here on the wall. It was like biggest highlight of my day because it was like, I never thought I'd be doing this. But it was titled The Relationship Between Forgiveness, Gratitude, and Trauma. People just don't realize how powerful forgiveness is. Back in 2017, I was asked to speak on forgiveness. I tell you what, so much was going on. My mom had passed away that year, like a few months before. And then there was just, I wasn't dealing real well with that. The day when I was supposed to speak, we've lived in this house since 2014. All this time... I've never had an issue. And that particular morning, the day of this conference, I'm getting ready. I busted my toe on my cabinet and my nail, literally the nail was waving at me and that's gross. It was bleeding like crazy. I couldn't find a bandaid because my autistic child was all into the band-aids at that point. And I had to do a makeshift band-aid. And then I left here and I was like, God, just touch it. And I'd been fasting meat. That was the other thing. I knew I couldn't go without food, so I fasted meat. And so that morning I went through Chick-fil-A and I got a, some coffee. Their coffee is super hot. I got an egg and cheese burrito, headed down the interstate, took a bite in that burrito and there's chicken in there. And then I spilt my coffee on my leg, hot coffee. And you know, God was so gracious because my toe, and you know how bad it feels when you bang your toe. I never felt it on my toe and I never felt the burn on my leg. And so as I'm going to this, I said, God, there must be somebody this is for because I hadn't had no issues up to this point. And so I taught, it was two sessions and it was back to back. So I taught on forgiveness. Several of the ladies were touched, but one in particular that just constantly sticks out. She, she would tell me throughout the year, she goes, you have no idea what you've done. Well, no, I really, I really don't. I just did what God laid on my heart. Her and her mother were in one of those sessions and she said, she told me later, she says for like 20 some years of her life, they've done nothing but fight. And this was right before Thanksgiving, this particular convert, she said they would fight, argue, fuss, but she says that Thanksgiving was the first time that it was peaceful. There's love and I'm blown away. And then she just told me re recently, she says her mom tells her that she loves her. And this is a middle-aged woman tells her that she loves her, will give her a hug. And it's like, 
you just, you have no idea. I'm so compassionate about for, if you cannot tell. As we wrap up today, I ask every one of my guests to say something to that one person out there. Say something to them that would reach them, that you know what they would need to hear. Well, a story just popped in my head. So I'll close with this story that's going to minister to somebody. I was sitting on the front seat in a church ready to minister. A 19-year-old girl came running and she grabbed me. She hugged me hard. She said, I am so happy to see you and I have a testimony and I have waited and waited to get to see you again to tell you this. And I actually, she said, I borrowed a car tonight when I found out you were going to be here and I drove two hours to tell you this testimony. We had a little time. I took her to the side. She said, I was nine years old in a junior youth camp. And she said, it came about that I was a child that rode the church bus and that my Sunday school teacher announced to me on a Sunday morning that she had talked to my mother and that they were going to take me and buy me a suitcase and some clothes and that I was going to a special camp for kids the next day. She said, my teacher, my Sunday school teacher knew enough about my home life to know that it would be a relief to me. My mom was a single mom, drugs, alcohol, selling drugs out of the house. My dad was in prison and the church people picked me up and took care of me, brought me to church, bought me clothes, fed me. She said, now I'm 19 years old. Now standing before me was a beautiful, anointed, holy Pentecostal girl. And she said, at that camp, when they dropped me off, I thought, you mean this isn't heaven? She said, I thought this must be heaven because I got three meals and snacks and I had new clothes to wear and everyone was nice to me and I had friends to play with. And she said, then they told me after dinner, go get your new dress on and I'm going to do your hair pretty for you. And they took me over to the big tabernacle. And she said, that's where you came in. You were the camp evangelist. She said, and when you stood up front and you had those hearts and you talked about the things that God will never do. And you ministered to me. She said, I can't remember the whole message, but I was nine. She said, I just turned nine, just barely old enough to go to camp. She said, I came to the end of that altar and I prayed and cried and asked Jesus to clean out my heart. And you came and laid your hand on my head and I was filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. She said, and I just shouted and danced with the other kids and, and lingered in the altar. And she said, I could not wait the next day to see you again. And I went to the end of that altar and she said, when it was time to pray, I kept peeking to see, is she going to pray for me again? So, you know, that tells us it's important to pray for even the kids that already have the Holy Ghost. And she said, and you did. She said, you made your way down that altar and you prayed with me again. And I got a refilling. She said, the week went on and then Friday came. She said, Friday morning, I woke up depressed. I knew I was going to have to go home. I was going to bring those beautiful clothes into a home where they would lie in a pile and I'd wear dirty clothes where there would be no food to eat, where my mom wouldn't care about the little crafts I made and where there'd be drunken parties every weekend. She said, I lived for Sunday. She said, I was depressed all through the day. I couldn't really play or eat. Sure enough, there was the service and the people were acknowledging me. They were in the back ready to take me home after the service. She said, when you gave the altar call after your anointed message. I came weeping and weeping to the end of that altar. And you came and prayed for me. And you said in my ear, 
Jesus is going home with you. You're not going home alone. And even though things are not good at your house, Jesus is going to be with you. And you prayed for me. And she said, it gave me hope. And I started thanking Jesus that he was going home with me because she said, I didn't realize that. I didn't know that I could pray at home. And she said, I, I was just weeping and crying. And I watched you walk away. And I thought, I wish I could go home with that lady. She said, and you stopped just dead in your tracks. You turned around and you came back to me. And you said, and there's one more thing, Jesus, won't you know that he's sending a big angel home with you. And that angel is going to stand at the foot of your bed with its wings spread out wide to protect you because you belong to Jesus now. And all you have to do is close your eyes tight and lay in your little bed and Jesus will be there. And you can talk in tongues in your little bed, but that angel is going to protect you. She said, I believed every word you said. She said, I haven't seen you since then, since that night. She said, I went home. My mom was passed out Friday night on the couch. Saturday, a normal day, no food. Mom passed out. She said, Saturday night, mom had a party. They were dealing drugs. They were doing drugs. They were drinking. I was sent to my bed. She said, I was lying in my bed when two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning, the door opened and there stood a man at the foot of my bed. He shut the door behind him. She said, I knew what was going to happen to me because it had happened since I was four years old. My mother would allow these drunk, drugged out men to come in and molest me. She said, I laid there with my eyes closed tight and I started to slip into that little room where things didn't hurt. I go in that little room and become someone else. She said, but I heard your voice. She said, I saw your face and I remembered the prophecy. There's a big angel standing at the foot of your bed. She said, under my breath, I just began to say, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. She said, I was expecting any moment for the pain, for what had always happened. And all of a sudden, the door slammed shut. She said, I sat up and looked around, and that man was gone. She said, this is my testimony. I was never molested again. She said, I am 19 years old. I'm on my way to Bible college. Because what I want to do the rest of my life is what you do. I want to travel around and minister to children. And I want to tell little children that God will send a big angel home with them. She said, I want to walk in the spirit. I want to hear from God. And she said, my family never has come in and they really never wanted anything to do with me. But the church has become my family. She said, I have mothers and fathers and grandfathers and grandmothers and sisters and brothers. And she said, I am blessed. But she said, I've wanted so badly to tell you what happened to me that last night of junior youth camp. Man. Oh my goodness. <sighs> I think you've done your job today. You got the therapist crying. We all need a good cry now and then, but you know, the beautiful thing is we're not crying to cry something off or to dismiss it, but the tears are tears of just really wanting to help people yes. feeling so deeply, you know, these things and knowing that we don't always see the end result. I don't get all the testimonies. I don't know what happened, but we just walk with the Lord with the right motives and knowing that he's going to use us if we make ourselves available. And if he can use me, he can use anybody. And I just want to say to somebody out there, be bold in the spirit. Don't be afraid and let God use you. And, and when you hear his voice, act on it. You know, he's not trying to trick you. It's that still small voice. And we need the gifts of the spirit in operation in this last hour. We need to minister to people. And that's what God is doing. He's ministering to people and people are coming in quickly because Jesus is coming soon. It could be any moment. 
This was just an awesome interview. Oh my goodness, just awesome. I just want to thank you again so much for coming on and, and just talking today, talking from your heart. You are such a blessing. And I know people tell you that, but you really are. Oh, thank you. If you can reach down and and just put it in such simple terms for little kids. I'm over, my heart was over here just melting. But thank you again for coming on the podcast today. And I want you to come back. Sure, I love to. And, and talk some more. Thank you everybody for listening today. Have a blessed and wonderful day. Thank you for listening to the Real Talk 238 podcast for this week's episode. If you have enjoyed this episode of the Real Talk 238 podcast, please subscribe so you will be notified when new episodes are released. If you would like to leave a comment, or there is a topic you would like discussed on the Real Talk 238 podcast, you can drop an email at therealtalk238 at gmail.com. You can also find the Real Talk 238 podcast on Facebook and Instagram listed as at the Real Talk 238. As a reminder, the Real Talk 238 podcast is not a substitute, nor does it replace therapy. Always seek the advice of your physician or a qualified licensed mental health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or mental health disorder. Until next time, have a blessed day.